Ladies and gentlemen, we are live! Welcome everyone to MMA Weekly Boston Shepdown on the BX Sports GI Network on this half on this 4th of July as we celebrate 4th of July here in the United States. I am Austin. And it's my co-host Chef Dan. How are you doing this 4th of July, Chef Dan? Uh happy 4th of July to every American who's celebrating right now. If you're not, it's just a regular old Monday to you. But um, yeah, I'm doing well. Um, very, very good coming off of a and okay, uh uh oh. Yeah, it was definitely, and um, and I'm sorry about last week not doing the show. That's on my end. I screwed that one up, so that's on me. But we're back here this week. We're back here this weekend. We definitely got a lot to talk about this past weekend with, you know, with the big UFC pay per view this past weekend, also PFL as well. Uh, so I guess we can, if you want, we can talk. talk Talk about the PFL real quick before breakdown. What happened? UFC that works with you. I I didn't watch it, so if you want to break it down, go ahead. PFL. I, I I saw the main event that was between Kayla Harrison and and Kayla Young, and Kayla Harrison wins via first round TKO. Two two minutes and thirty five seconds in the first round, and Kayla Harrison continues to just dominate these girls. She seems. They haven't, they haven't found a girl yet who could challenge Kayla Harrison. It's the same all with her. It's, I, don't, I don't recall any female that's given her a challenge based on based on what I've seen. It's just Caleb seems to control them. Once the fight gets on the ground, she has a clear advantage. She submits them, ground pounds them, or just goes by decision. And that's and that's the one thing that you know people have been critical of PFL is not finding someone that can challenge Kayla Harrison that she just seems to dominate these girls. She's now 13-0 and in MMA and it's now I am curious to see is any female that can challenge her down the down the road to PFL. I know Julia Bud was supposed to fight her but I think Bud got injured and pulled out so 
So unfortunately for um, <clears throat> so unfortunately we didn't get to see someone could challenge Kayla Harrison. But Kayla Harrison does what she's supposed to do, win, and she keeps on winning. And she stays undefeated, and it was a great performance. You know, once the fight got taken to the ground, Kayla Young had no chance, and she's got finished. So very good performance for Kayla Harrison. Also, uh, also I do want to mention this fight: Ray Cooper against Brett Cooper. Ray Cooper there against Brett Cooper. Fighting in 24 seconds. This fight was quick. I mean, 20, Ray, Ray Cooper landed Ray Cooper landed a right hook that hurt Brett Cooper and just began the end. Landed some body shots that really opened up Cooper and then just attacked the, you know attacked his head and just. It, like I said, it was 24 seconds. It's not a lot to talk about, but it was a great performance from Ray Cooper the third. Definitely won't give him a shout. It's a guy that I know that MMA fans have talked about as a pretty talented fighter that the PFL has. So, won't give him a shout out, especially considering he got a 24 second finish. So, definitely won't give him some love. And then you got, and and then you got um uh, Saeed Sa Sa Bu. Uh, I'm gonna butcher his name. I apologize. Sadi Bu. Um, Boyo Sai defeats Rory McDonald in the world in the world's weight fight 30-27 two judges scorecards in 29-28. I didn't see that fight, but I, I that's only that's that fight I didn't see, but I won't give him a shout because seeing Rory McDonald is a big name and guys fought for the UFC Weight Championship, fought not, not only fought but won the Bellator Weight Champion. To beat someone like Rory McDonald is definitely a big deal, so we'll give him a shout out as well. And I guess we can transition from the PFL to UFC 276 that happened this past weekend. International Fight Week, the 10th International Fight Week for the UFC. And in the main event was Israel Asanya and, and Jared Kanier in the middleweight division for the middleweight titles. Israel Asanya wins BM his decision 54-85. I believe all three judges scorecards. If I'm not mistaken, I think someone yeah. might give. Okay, I, some reason I thought someone gave. One round can near, but that but I was wrong. Now this this fight was definitely this the entrance was spectacular. I want to mention that real quick. Israel said came out as the Undertaker. He had the urn with Jared's name on it, and he had the hat, the Undertaker hat, and the music and everything. It, I said it, I said that that took everyone by surprise. I mean, I know Israel mentioned he was gonna have a big entrance, but I didn't expect the Undertaker to, to be it. It's kind of rock considering Vince McMahon, Stephanie, Triple H, and Pat McAfee and the WWE were all in the front, were all in the crowd that night. So it was kind of like, kind of like perfect timing. N now this fight itself, down performance by Israel Asanya, but at the same time, kind of left me disappointed. I, I mean, my thing is this: you can't come out to the Undertaker's music with that, the hats, the urn, don't, and and talk about how you're gonna be, you know. You know, destroy Canier and f him up and things like that, and, and do that. I mean, I mean, now now he dominated Canier. Canier have really no answers besides parts of the third round, maybe a little flurry in the fourth round. But other than that, Israel controlled him with jabs, some body shots, leg kicks, body kicks, and was able to pick him apart on the outside and just cruise to an easy decision. And and I get and I get Canier could have fought a better fight himself, considering. Especially after he was down 3-0, you really should have probably done a little bit more. Should have been more reckless. I know there's a chance he might get finished, but considering the title fight and who knows if Kander might ever get another chance at the middleweight title, probably could have done more. Also, but same time, is 
I feel like Israel is so dominant that if Israel wanted to, he could have really pressed the action more. I think he could have finished Kanir. It really hurt him badly considering Israel is a much better striker than Kanir. And Kanir's takedowns weren't exactly. I only got a takedown the entire fight, if I recall, too. Maybe, maybe he got one if he did, but no. No takedown? None. Yeah, okay. I have a feeling. I, yeah, and he didn't get a takedown at all, so. And I and I get Israel doesn't want to put himself in danger, but at the same time, it was so obvious you were better than him striking that you could really press the action and really done some damage to Kanir. It's just, you know, and it's just, you know, I, I, it, left, it left a somewhat bitter taste in my mouth because of the entrance, the Undertaker, and then, of course, the performance is like, come on, Israel. But nonetheless, I'm a performance by Israel, defense is buffed successfully. And what are your thoughts on this um, fight and the entrance, um, Chef Dan? Uh, the entrance was uh, cool for what it was. I, I, I understand the gist of it. Uh, Israel Adesanya just being a showman. He's adding different flares to different parts of the show. So it was just something to be appreciated. But um, as far as the fight, I wasn't disappointed. This is something I expected from Israel Adesanya. This is his fight style. No one was going to make him do anything different. He doesn't do anything different. And the only, like, the only time it's going to be an even more exciting fight is when someone presents something to Israel Adesanya to make him do something different. But otherwise, he's got this, he's got, he's got his style down to a T. If you really want to, you know, when watching the fight game, the, like, the rule is hit and not get hit. Hit and not get hit. And that's what he did the entire night. The style is a perfection. Not only that, but people love comparing uh, Izzy uh, uh, to John Jones. They love comparing these two guys to a guy like Roy Jones. What was Roy Jones famous for? He was famous for being able to touch a person and not get touched. And it was to a point where some of his fights didn't sell. It didn't look exciting because he looked so dominant in the ring. It's at some point the gap is going to have to close. But until that gap gets closed, it's not Israel Adesanya's job to close the gap. So uh, me personally, I was expecting this style of fight from Israel Adesanya. This is something that I, I saw was going to happen. And I was more so looking to see what Jared Cannonier's, uh answer was. Was he going to introduce a flurry or was he going to fall prey to what every other opponent falls prey to? It's the same thing that Yoel Romero did. It's the same thing that Paulo Costa did. And all three of these guys have something in common. Is that they're all power hitters. But as soon as they got in front of Israel Adesanya, all the activity went from little to none. And they just became punching bags. That's really what it was. Paulo was the closest guy that came to deciding, you know what, I'm going to gamble. And when he gambled, he had some successful moments here and there. Yeah, but then Izzy was able to counter him and end the night. So those are the gambles you take with a with the style like being a power hitter, especially against a guy like Israel Adesanya. So to me, the like it this was to be expected. If you truly, you know, if you've been watching Israel Adesanya for a while and he came into the ring and he did something else, that would be out of character, something more so to talk about. But Izzy did his job and salute to Israel Adesanya. It was another dominant performance. Uh, right, and for Kanir, like I said, I wish he would have done. I wish I kind of wish he would have done more, especially in that fifth round, considering 
he's you know down he's losing the fight i mean it's clear I mean, i'm pretty sure his, his cornerman must have told him he's losing the fight and like i say he's 38 this may be his last chance of ever getting a well potentially he may never get another shot at the middleweight title so he may have to go all broke and see maybe he could do something and i kind of wish he would have done that also if you, you get what i mean right considering the circumstances the things i just mentioned with Karen here yeah it would it's a woulda, coulda, shoulda thing with Cannoneer. It's just at the end of the day, regardless of whether it was punching or grappling, he should have had more activity. He had little to no activity, and that was his downfall majority of the fight. Right, right. And great performance for Israel. We know what's next for Israel, and that's Alex Behera, which we'll talk about what Al, how, how Alex got the title fight against Israel Asanya and the great performance he had earlier in the night. But it's, a, but it's a rematch of their kickboxing fights, which I'll t touch about briefly late, a little bit later. But sick kickboxing, which Israel Asanya trains at, not only had Israel Asanya defend his best successfully, also had Nerf Fire defend their best successfully, and that's Alexander Volkanovsky defending the UFC featherweight title successfully against Max Holloway in the trilogy fights. And, and Volkanovsky wins the fight 50 45. And this fight was shocking, to say the least. Because, not because Alex won, but because Holly won. The fact that he won so dominantly, it wasn't even close. It was, it was Alexander. It was Alexander looked. He looked faster than than um not than Holloway out there at times, and just and just landed the better shots than Holloway and, and cut him real bad in like the second round. We had like a gash like on Holloway's like his um I think yeah his left eye like a really bad cut. To the point where I thought the fight was going to get stopped because the cut looked bad. They give credit to Holloway's cutman for stopping the cut, and to the point where Holloway continued fighting, but that cut bothered him for the rest of the fight. Wokanowski kept attacking it and kept bleeding, and Holloway was basically one eye, and Wokanowski just dominated Holloway in a, in a way we never thought we'd see. I mean, we've seen Holloway lose fights, but we've never seen him get dominated. We haven't seen him get dominated since maybe the the Conor McGregor loss back in the day in 2013. That's nine years ago. Other than that, Holloway's never been dominated when he lost. And he hasn't lost often. I mean, he's lost to Volkanovski. Then and it's the second Poirier fight, which was a close fight where it was 48-47 that Poirier won. But Volkanovski just, man, that was that was the performance of the night by any fighter was Volkanovski. And the Choji once and for all. And solidify himself as, in my opinion, perhaps the greatest featherweight in UFC history, considering he beat Max Holloway the way he did. I mean, just. I mean, damn. Uh, yeah, I agree with everything you said. Um, except for performance of the night, that's something I may have to give to someone else. We'll talk about that another time. But yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. There's really not much to digest from. I mean, there's not much more to pick at from the fight of what you said. It looks completely surprising. And now Volkanovski has the um, cachet to move on wherever he wants to. You, you know, am I enticed to see him defended against Josh Emmett? Especially against the fight that Josh Emmett had against Calvin Cater where that was debatable? Not really. I'm. It, it, it's kind of... Volkanovski's in a sweet spot right now where I know he wants to be active. Uh, oh. 
he's in a sweet spot. He wants to be active. He can go up a, a, a division and go fight the winner between Oliveira and whoever fights Oliveira for the title. We're presuming that it's going to be Islam. But um, if not, he can always just continue to defend against Josh Emmett. And like, if he beats Josh Emmett, that right there clears the division. Then he can go back to saying, you know what? I've done my job. The division isn't doing their job. And from there, we can possibly see more of these featherweights start to actually be active. Because, um, I mean, uh, the only the only critique I came away with other than what you said. Like I said, you, you said everything about this fight. But the only critique I could come away with is that the division isn't doing themselves any favors. Because there's not a lot of activity. Bryce Mitchell was more active on Twitter than he was in the Octagon. So that says where he's at in his state of the career. So that's it. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned activity because not a lot of featherweights are active and that's hurting the vision. Although to be fair, um, I know Ortega and Yair are fighting two, um, see, 13, 13 days from now in, Saturday, in Long Island on ABC. Even then, or Matt Volkanovski beat Ortega already like less than a year ago. And then Yair is coming off the loss to Holloway. And if Yair does beat Ortega, I don't know if you can really sell a Yair versus Volkanovski fight if Yair were to win. That and then you, uh, you can't. You, I mean, you can't sell any of those fights, but you could always sell a number one contendership because at the end of the day, Josh Emmett may feel like he's next, but it really doesn't. Like he may feel like he's next, but the people will let you know. And right now, it is like we're not screaming for Emmett versus Volkanovski. Yeah, exactly. And I agree with everything you said about Emmett because I, me, and you both agree. We th we thought the ju we thought Calvin Care won that fight, and not Josh Emmett. And and, and the judges got it right. At least we can say, oh yeah, Calvin Care needs to, you know Volkanovski needs to beat Calvin Care before we can say he cleared out the division. But that didn't. That's not the case. And so and and yeah, it's really no. And Emmett and Volkanovski fight doesn't get us excited at all, personally. And I only gets a lot of people excited. And I personally, for me, I like to see Emmett fight Arnold Allen, considering Arnold Allen's on an eight-fight winning streak. And Emmett Allen fight, the winner of that fight fights Volkanovski. Because I, for, for me, what I want to see Volkanovski do is fight Charles Oliveira for the lightweight title. I think mean, I think you sh they should do it. I know, and I'm an Islam guy, and I, and I you know, I like to see, when I see an Islam fighting for the title, but at the same time, after Volkanovski did, and the way he did against Max Holloway, who in his featherweight career, uh, I think, I think post uh, Conor McGregor loss is 16-0 against all featherweights, with the exception of Volkanovski, which that's what says something considering Holloway's being all the featherweights post the McGregor loss, and yet he hasn't beat Volkanovski, and, and Volkanovski being like that, and there's no one really clear-cut number one contender in the featherweight division. I think it's I think it's time to I think it's time for Volkanovski to go up at 155 and try to do double champ, which he said he wants to do. He said he wants to defend both belts. I think that fight's a, it's a super fight between him and Oliveira. It makes sense. See Volkanovski trying to make history, and if Oliveira could be Volkanovski, that adds to his legacy. To me, that is a legit super fight, and I think that's a fight I would like to see in November or or December, personally. Volkanovski Oliveira for the 155 title, considering we all consider well, I mean, Oliveira to be the 155 champ anyway. Uh, we, we we shall see what what happens because uh, it's more than just uh you know 
the, the fight's wanting to see. It's also a business. We shall see how the business, uh, you know, uh, works itself out. I mean, uh, that's, true. that's true. Yeah, uh, let's move on, though, from that fight to the next fight on the card. In the uh, middleweight division, Alex Pieta versus Sean Strickland. Alex Pieta wins this fight in the first round via left hook TKO. And, um, excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, this was, um, it wasn't surprising to say, it, it wasn't surprising this performance but between Alex Pieta because Sean Strickland, uh, you know, he elected to stand up and try and strike with Alex Pieta. And, uh, for the most part, Sean Strickland kept trying to have Alex Pieta on his back foot, which at times he was successful, you know, trying to move him back and land certain strikes, but his uh, posture was too open, and Pieta was just really, really good with his timing. He was able to land that left hook, and just one left hook got uh, Strickland down. The second one, for good measure, just uh, took him out. I think it was the right hook that took him out for good measure. But, um, yeah, that was... Um, that was the fight. It was it was quickly finished, man. I quickly done, and Alex Pieta moves up into ranking. And salute to him because he's now. Um, we saw Israel Adesanya. We heard him call out uh, uh, Pieta to be the next fight, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but what what did you see from this fight, Austin? I mean, I agree with a lot of things you said. I mean, you said a lot of things I want to say about how. Sean Strickland is left himself way too open, even though he was pressuring Piera back, and he was moving Piera back. But Piera is a king. Piera can um, counter strike, and one thing about Piera that I've noticed is, you, is UFC fights is that he's patient. Like sometimes he'll be he won't throw any for a little bit, and out of nowhere just throw strike and usually hurt somebody. I've noticed that about Piera. So he he sometimes does that, and that's what he did against um, Sean Strickland. You know Sean Strickland was having success pressure him putting Piero in his back foot and lands a couple of shots at Piero but didn't do anything to him and then once that left foot came it was basically game over for Sean Strickland and like you mentioned the right they just finished it for good and and that's all she wrote and Alex Piero goes from the guy making his debut in Madison Square Garden I believe it was Madison Square Garden made his debut for the UFC in November yeah. he goes from there to Fine for the UFC middleweight championship against Israel Sonia, a guy who he beat twice in kickboxing, including knocking him out in the last time they fought. Which I know Israel, you know, is is barred by that, you know, the fact by that by their fights and the fact that people keep mentioning it. And for Israel, it's a chance for him to right or wrong. He feels like in Alex Pereira, he has a shot to in his fourth UFC fight and less than ten fights in MMA, if I'm mistaken, become a UFC champion. Go from a kickboxing champion glory to a UFC champion. I mean, if he if he pulls that off, that would be remarkable. What he's what he's done, considering I don't think I don't think he's ever been a kickboxer, just been a UFC champion. That not not that not that I recall. Guys won kickboxing championship. Yeah, it hasn't been one. I know Alistair Overeem came close several years, you know, back in 2016, but he lost to Stephen Miocic. But for Pereira, he has a chance to make history. To, in his next fight against um, Israel Asanya. And a part of me is kind of a little bit sad because I really want to see Sean Strickland and Israel Asanya, especially if you saw the press conference Thursday. They were actually those two and how and how entertaining it was. I was hope I kind of was hoping to see Sean and Israel just to see the press conference. They already lean up to the fight. 
saying that would be really entertaining. But at the same time, I am interested. I am. I do look forward to seeing Alex and Sean. I mean, not Sean, Alex and uh, Israel, because I think it's going to be a competitive fight because Israel Sonya next to staying outside and you know, and avoid taking damage and pick apart fighters. He's not going to be able to do that against Alex Vieira. You know, this is MMA, but Alex Vieira is just as good kickboxer as Israel Sonya. So it, I think we're going to see a different Israel in this fight. We're going to have to in order for Israel to win this fight. I, th I think it's going to be entertaining to fight when they fight. I mean, yeah, but let's break that down when they announce the fight. Let's, uh, yeah. I, no, I agree. Uh, and it should be soon, but I, well, I don't think we should wait too long because no, none of them took damage. Israel didn't take damage, neither did Alex Vieira. So I would, I would hope by the end of the year they fight at December. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, we, we would hope that could happen. But then again, it's recoup, recovery, recovery time plus training time we uh you know they're gonna want at least three months for each other that's you know th that's the training camp most guys give uh give each other especially when you're fighting that high in the ranking so whenever they you know sign you know whenever everything's signed sealed and delivered and they can start training then we'll have a date and we'll break that down yeah definitely i can't I look forward to that fight israel and, and alex Vieira. good and good performance by alex Vieira. Definitely yeah. the biggest fight of his career, knocking out the guy, number four ranked guy in the middleweight division. And we can transition from the middleweight fight to the welterweight fight. That was the second fight in the card between Brian Barbarena and Robbie Lola. As Brian Barbarena wins this fight, second round TKO, four minutes and 47 seconds in the second round. This fight was entertaining. It was an entertaining fight. Robbie Lola, like the old Robbie Lola at times, especially in the first round where he won the first round because he landed a lot of power shots. And Barbara and Barbarina land some shots, but a lot of times the kid is moving his fist like this, like try, almost like trying to like cause, trying to like throw off Robbie Lola by moving his fist a lot. It seemed like, but Robbie kept throwing a lot of power shots, land them, hurting Brian Barbarina. But Brian got a tough chin. He definitely survived a war. I mean, he survived a war against Matt Brown back in March, and he's been in several of them himself. And in the second round, it looked like Robbie Lola was going to continue doing what he did in the first round. He was picking. Brian apart with the jab, you know, especially the left jab, and laying some right and throwing some right straight rights that was hurting Brian Barbarena. But Brian landed a left that hurt Robbie Lola with like less than two minutes to go in, in the second round, and that was again the end for Robbie Lola. You know, Robbie landed some shots that hurt Brian, but Brian start, but Brian was starting to hurt Robbie, especially those lefts and even some rights. And then, and then once they got in the cage, Brian drew a left that stunned Robbie and then just. Threw a flurry at Robbie Lola to the to the point where to the point where Robbie couldn't block them. He just get get hit by them. And he was and he was out on his feet. At first I was like confused, but then when we watched the fight, yeah, Robbie was out on his feet. The referee made a good call. He was done. As Brian Barberino scores the biggest win of his career, defeating a, a legend, Robbie Lola, former UFC welterweight champion. Especially after losing the first round and taking some big shots from Robbie Lola, he comes back and wins that fight. Great performance by Brian Barberino and an important victory. Thanks to the biggest victory of his career, and it was a very entertaining fight. I get yeah, the fight of the night. This rightfully so won fight of the night because this was very, very exciting. Um, you said it completely. Uh, uh, like this was the way. Uh, uh, this was just an exciting fight all the way through. The one thing I can say though is that literally. For around and up until damn near he lost, Robbie Lawler was completely winning this fight. 
the one thing the one thing where I say Robbie betrayed himself he started off the fight with a bounce he started off the fight with a certain bounce with with like he wasn't flat-footed he was moving around a little here and there and that bounced through Brian Barberina off so now when Robbie started landing on Brian Barberina old habits die hard Robbie got flat-footed when he got flat-footed there was no more movement for Brian Barberina to try and you know dissect but I think Robbie's best chance was when he was bouncing and when he looks back at that fight he's gonna see and, and say hey nah I had a chance there to really piece this guy up all I had to do was continue being light on my feet and I had something there because Robbie was completely winning this fight it like this was just a reversal that happened literally in that moment and Brian Barberina was able to capitalize due also to the amount of activity he was providing because another thing man for two rounds this guy kept throwing both of these guys were throwing but Brian Barberina especially he just kept throwing and throwing and throwing and throwing he had a lot of activity with his hands but salute to these two guys because this was this was the most exciting fight of the main card to me I agree and I'm glad you mentioned Robbie Lola bouncing, you know, having bounced this step. I forgot that part. That's a great, good call, Chef Dan, because the commentators mentioned that uh, Robbie Lola, he typically tends to be, especially in his prime, a little more flat-footed. Like he's like he'll he'll step in and throw punches instead of being yeah, having a bounce to his step. And he definitely had it, and he was having success once he once like you mentioned he betrayed himself and stopped stopped the having a bounce to his step. That's when trouble came around for him for Robbie Lola. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a very good point that I forgot about. But yeah, all in all, um, very exciting fight by these two gentlemen. And rightfully so, they earned a uh, fight of the night, um, fight of the night bonuses. Both of them deserved it. Robbie put on a show. He deserved to walk out there with a the bonus. Just deservingly so. Right. Yep. And for Brian Barberina, I think he's won three in a row now. He got a new contract, and he now he win night beats a legend and Robbie Lolo and after beating a previous legend, Matt Brown in, a, in yep. his home in his hometown too. So yep. things are looking good for Brian Barberina. Definitely having su success now. Shout out to him and congrats to Brian Barberina. As we turn now to the first fight in the main car in the bantamweight division between Sugar Sean O'Malley and Pedro Munoz. This fight ends in a no contest in two minutes. I mean, not second round. I forget the time in the second round, but it was due to an eye poke. Yeah, and... it, was at two, it was at two minutes, 51 seconds. Okay. Two minutes, 51 seconds, an eye poke, unfortunately, causes the fight to end because Pedro Munoz really couldn't open his eye. We watching this fight and then seeing someone, you know, another channel break down, like, what happened? What happened to Pedro? It wasn't an eye poke. There's a... In the first round, with like a minute 50 seconds to go, if you go back and watch this fight, Sean Malik drove a punch that lands on Pedro's right eye, and you see Pedro like grabbing his eye, like doing this to it, like like touching it several times in the next several seconds after that punch, and that's the eye that that's, that couldn't open, and it, Sean Malik hit 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 the eye in the right in the right spot, so where Pedro Munoz's fight kept going on had a hard time opening that eye. And I think that's what caused it. It wasn't eye poke, because the eye poke was the other eye. And it was Pedro's left eye that he couldn't see. 
that's I think that's what caused the eye injury for Pedro to where he couldn't continue. It's something I didn't see until watching it again. Oh, I mean, the, go ahead. The way I saw it, um, I, I don't know if uh, I don't know what channel you'd have to direct me to the channel afterwards, but the way I saw it, um, Sean O'Malley, it wasn't like he did it maliciously. He's trying to defend Pedro, and it was either the ring finger or the middle finger. One of these, like while he's defending, it pokes the eye that's swelling up. Now, it like granted, in the midst of you know getting hit by Sean O'Malley, Sean O'Malley does uh you know he's not attacking the body like that. O'Malley attacks the body from time to time, but he's more of a headshot type of guy. He's looking to land headshots, trying to finish someone. Um. When O'Malley is doing stuff like that, like, could you credit the swelling to, you know, part of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the punches and not the eye poke? Yeah, you could possibly do that. But, like, the camera, like, they still have cameras at the event. And the referee, they watched the camera, they watched the camera over, they watched when the eye poke happened and said, hey, it wasn't malicious. And if he's saying he can't continue, then we have to end it in a no contest. But I cannot do the 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 um uh uh, uh what is it Archie's mysteries and 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 um the 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 the, the uh, uh, uh conspiracy theories about what could have caused Pedro Munoz's eye to swell up the way it did. That afterwards on Instagram. You have a whole bunch of fans calling him a faker and things of that nature because he's, uh, you know, taking pictures with certain other fighters and they see his eye is swelled up and he's like, oh, you're just faking it. You're closing the lid. It's like this man's like, was it three or five rounds he did with Jose Aldo? Five. Five rounds with Jose Aldo. Five full rounds with Jose Aldo. If there was like, I don't like... This is Pedro Munoz we're talking about. I don't like. I, 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 I don't. I'm not going into the whole could he have faked it, this, that, whatever. What I can say, it is unfortunate that the fight ended that way. I think the real discussion to be had here is do you want to see a rematch? Yeah. I think. I think it. I think they're going to do a rematch anyway. I think. Maybe for just the closest, just to close the, just to have like a closure in this fight, you might have to do the rematch once Pedro can, is healed up and is ready to go. And yeah, I don't agree with fans saying that he was faking, trying to look a way out because Pedro Munoz, you mentioned, he went five rounds with Aldo. Pedro Munoz has never been finished in his career, never been finished. The guy, guy's a, you know, guy's a tough guy, guy, tough, good chin. Guy could take a shot. I mean, he's fought some heavy, heavy hitters and, Hasn't fit, hasn't been finished, and so that's why I don't think he took a way out. And I don't, I don't know why fans were saying that, but I think this, I think you may have to do rematches to closure once and for all, instead of just like wondering what if. And you mentioned the eye poke; it was the ring finger. I remember it was the ring finger of of Sean O'Malley that went to this eye. So no, it went near the like in the corner right there where the boogers lay. Right, and like I said, I will sh- I will send you a link to show that the punch that caused um, the beginning of, of Pedro Munoz's swelling, the punch that that O'Malley landed, 
And this fight was somewhat competitive because O'Malley, Pedro Munoz actually didn't land a, a head strike at all. Most of his strikes were leg kicks, and O'Malley was checking some of them, but some of them were landing, which is kind of which is kind of strange to see a, a guy have, have a competitive fight while throwing a punch to the head of a fighter or landing one rather. I mean, that's something you don't see every day—a fight where goes to the second round where the one guy doesn't throw doesn't land a punch to the opponent's head, but yet it's competitive just based on leg strikes. That was very unique. Uh, I was I was thinking that after the fight, like, wow, he didn't throw any. I don't think he landed a shot at Sean's head. That I can recall. I mean, it may have been a flurry here and there that may have glanced off or something that, you know, Sean was uh, guarding it. But like, I mean, at the end of the day, you can guard as much as you want, but the uh, like, the point of the punch is to land enough force to rock the brain. So even if through the guard, the job is accomplished, it's accomplished. But um, yeah, like you said, it was a competitive fight. Do they need to rematch it though? I mean, you know what? Okay, that's a different question from what I asked earlier. Do I want to see a rematch? This is the thing. I It's, it's Sean O'Malley. If Pedro Munoz is on the mend and Sean O'Malley says he's ready to go next week or the week afterwards and they get him in with uh, Blue Man number two from the Blue Man group, it's still going to sell because it's Sean O'Malley. Yeah. So, like, do am I, am I anxious to see the rematch? Not really. Am I anxious to see Sean O'Malley back in the uh, octagon again? Yeah. Am I anxious to see Pedro Munoz back in the octagon again? Yeah, that's my I'm honest not... opinion of it. Like, I'm not saying, I'm like, and I'm not saying, like, you know, this fight it did a bad look for Pedro Munoz. It's just like Sean O'Malley does a better job of marketing himself. Yeah, he does. And speaking of Sean O'Malley, one day I'll, since you mentioned like marketing and like want to see Sean O'Malley fight. I know backstage that well, O'Malley's being interviewed by the BT Sport reporter. I forget her name, but Henry Cejudo interrupted the interview, which basically trying to get a fight with Sean O'Malley. It's got. I mean, I, I mean, I know it seems odd, but for those of you watching this and to you, Chef Dan, would you mind? Would you mind? Would you like to see a O'Malley and Henry Cejudo fight potentially as Cejudo's return fight or no? Yeah, I'm telling you. Triple C comes back against Sean O'Malley. Who's not going to tune in for that? It helps Triple C come back because if he comes back and beats Sean O'Malley, it's like, hey, I beat the little guy that you guys were scared to call out. I made him bend the knee and I can make another guy bend the knee. I can make you all bend the knee. I'm back and I want all my belts. It's easy for him to say that. If Sean O'Malley wins, it's like, yo, I beat Triple C. I beat the guy that, like, he's decorated. I beat Henry Cejudo. When he left, he was champ champ. He left top of the mountain. No one else can say that. Right. I agree. Like, I think it helps. Go ahead. Like, what I'm saying is, like, like, this is the part where, like, everyone who get, like, all the fighters who get mad at us, uh, Sean O'Malley is like, oh, you just do all these antics because you think you're marketable. 
the, like like yeah it doesn't seem like it helps him then but in a moment like right now where the fight ends with a no contest i mean there's some fights like i'm, I'm not even gonna lie i prefer a bad decision as opposed to a no contest and this may be me spur of the moment but i prefer a bad decision as opposed to a no contest because a bad decision at least there's some finality But this, it, it leaves a bad taste in everyone's mouth because it's like, ugh, fight went unfinished. There's a no contest. There's all their record, like your record has a dash one on it for a no contest. It's nasty. But at this moment right here where both of these guys leave and no one had the opportunity to grab the mic and call their next shot. Sean O'Malley was so marketable that Henry Cejudo, when he stuck around, and you guys got to watch this clip because it's something like the, the camera guy who did it, he shot it like it was the office. It's Sean O'Malley. And then out of nowhere, he pans over. It's Cejudo. He's like, how's about you come over to me for a tune-up? And O'Malley's like, what, are you serious? Goes back to, I'm serious. O'Malley, are you ready? Are you in shape? I'm in shape. I want you, this, that, whatever. The camera pans over to Davison Figueredo, and Figueredo yes. just makes a face like Jim, like Jim Halpert, just <laughs> like he's literally like this was yeah. awesome. Office, this is the office. Literally I agree. The that's, office. that's a great analogy. That that actually is perfect to describe this the conversations of Hudo and O'Malley. Because I met you, O'Malley's doing interview with BT Sports with Caroline Pierce. That's her, that's her name. BT Sports, and by the way, BT Sports is great UFC coverage. You know, I'm American. I see this stuff on YouTube. Shout out to BT Sports. Great. Yeah, they do great coverage. Yeah, in UK, but um, yeah, and and I, yeah, you're right. The way it shot it was like The Office. It was like Cejudo, and back to O'Malley, and then you see Cejudo, and then it was Davidson Figueroa making a Jim Halpert face. That's a good analogy. I didn't think about that. It's kind of ironic. BT Sports and The Office. The Office being originally a British show. You know that whole you know tie in too. I mean, yeah. hey, I, I guess that guy, he used to do camera work for The Office, so he's like, I know where this is going. I know how to frame this correctly. I know how to I know how to get this correctly. And, but, but I mean, the cameraman's wherewithal to, like, in the midst of Cejudo and O'Malley's back and forth, he doesn't miss any of them. Like, they're both, they're both within, like, they're both within distance that with the camera's natural mic, you can hear what both of them are saying. And he has the wherewithal to pan. Like, while he's going to both of them, stops. Catches Figueredo. Figueredo's looking at both of them. Looks at the camera and just goes. <laughs> uh, that's true. Figueredo's face. That was funny. But this that is like, like, these moments, like, it, it's a golden moment. But that moment only happens because O'Malley markets himself. He like I'm I'm not even gonna lie, and I'm not saying O'Malley is like a, a, a guy that I'm not. How do I say? I'm not saying like how do I? Say, he's approachable. He's an approachable person. If I see Sean O'Malley, I'm gonna want to know his story, and that's all it takes is wanting to know a guy's story. Pedro Munoz doesn't do that for me, so. That's why it's like I like overall am I dying to see this rematch? 
Not really. Sean O'Malley was the one that didn't get hurt. Pedro Munoz was. If Pedro takes more time to get ready than Sean, and Sean can be back in the octagon in the next two to three weeks, Sean, that, Sean's also in a sweet spot because now he moves on with his career. Yeah, I agree there. And I would like to see Cejudo in and O'Malley next because it's a good tune-up fight for um, Cejudo. You know, O'Malley, you know, is, is one of our fights, but O'Malley's not exactly, you know, Sterling or, excuse me, or Dillashaw or even Pierre Yon. Although Parmi, although Parmi is kind of like, I wish Cejudo got to the Pierre Yon fight. But still, O'Malley's a good test, a big name. He beats O'Malley, beats the guy who's rising in the ranks. And it's a good tune-up fight to probably fight the winner of Aljamain and TJ Dillashaw. If O'Malley wins, he beats a legend, you know, Triple C. The double champ at the time, Olympic champion, the guy who retires champion. I mean, it's a. I, I think that's a good fight, a good fight for a, a good matchup for both guys for O'Malley's next fight. And personally, they're both from Arizona too. So I've always said, if they, if they do a, a pay per view in Arizona within the next like eight months, six eight months, they should definitely have those two fights or an event in Arizona or the main event. Personally, that's just me. But yeah, that was um, that was it. That was the main card. Yeah, and Absolutely. the yep. go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, the main card. This was a very weird card. It like I said, the first fight with the with the fight ending with the no contest to to you know the whole performance with Israel and Kanir and all of sour taste in people's mouth and and seeing Holloway get dominated by Volkanovski was shocking. I mean, I no one, I didn't see that coming. I mean, these are the two best featherweights in the world, clear-cut best featherweights, and yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, good luck to any featherweights who against Volkanovski. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm just thinking, unless uh, there, actually there there may be one featherweight who gave him a challenge, one, but he's got to get healthy, and that's Arnold Allen, the hand speed. If Aaron Allen would have beat Josh Emmett. Well, that's a, that's an if. That's a what if. We obviously got Allen has to you know at least probably win one more fight. But other than that, I think Volkanovski against the featherweights is just it just it just they just feed Volkanovski opponents, just feed him fresh meats like he's a lion. If that makes sense. Uh yeah, we should uh uh yeah that that was a dominant performance by those guys in the um the the guys that won in the main card. Salute to them. Uh, but there was also some fights in the preliminaries. Did you check out any preliminary fights? Oh, yeah. I saw almost all of them. Yeah, except, except the first one. First one I missed. But I saw the rest of the preliminary card. And one fight I do want to mention, considering what happened with the loser. It's a big deal. It's Jim Miller and Donald Cerrone. And Jim Miller wins the fight via guillotine in the second round. And this fight was pretty um, competitive. You know, pretty, pretty competitive. Miller tried to use some grappling, but Cowboy was doing all right. Couple in some shots in the second round, both guys landed kicks. Cerrone landed a head kick on Miller, but Miller landed body shots, and they both kind of went down. But Miller was able to capitalize and get a guillotine to Cowboy, and Cowboy Cerrone retire after the fight. As Jim, you know, guess this was Cowboy's last fight. Cowboy says, you know, he wants to be, a, you know, he, he wants to be a movie star now because I know he did the movie with Gina Carano, Taron Perry, and now he's doing that show with um, Chris Pratt. I, shoot, what's the name? I forget the name of the show. Something list, Terminator list or something. It's a I, new I think Chris... I know what you're talking about. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was. Is I it, know. Is it, was, it, is it an Amazon show or something like that? Yes, they am, it was Amazon Amazon show that that was a sponsor for the pay per view. They terminal list. There's some terminal list. The terminal list with Chris Pratt. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. I mean, Cowboy Ka- Cerrone. I mean, I'm probably glad he retired because it hasn't been the best run for him. He hasn't he hasn't won a fight in a while. He's. A, I mean, granted, he's lost to a lot of elite fighters, but at the at the end, it was basically it was this was basically the right sign to retire. Saying he wasn't winning a lot of fights, he wasn't winning fights anymore. And Cowboy has had a long, good, very legendary career going back to WEC in late two, late 2000s, and then going to UFC and always being a contender in the lightweight division, even welterweight division for a while. And salute to Cowboy Cerrone, a legend retiring, and good performance for Jim Miller, who's who has the most UFC wins of anyone in UFC history. Also has the most fights in UFC. As he's won three in a row now, he continues to win. So I do want to mention that. Um, a fight, uh, a fight that I want to mention in the uh, um, preliminaries. I know you didn't see it, so I, I, I'm gonna uh, just break it down. Me personally, I enjoyed this. Julie just uh, Stolyarenko versus Jessica Rose Clark. This ended in the first round via armbar submission. Jessica Rose Clark, she. After the fight, she was upset with Julie just saying that, you know, she broke her arm after uh, she tapped through the arm bar. If you look at the tape, right? All right. First off, Jessica Rose Clark was winning the fight on the stand up. She was really winning it. And she kind of, I guess she rushed it a little when she caught uh, Julie with some good strikes and they started tumbling backwards and Julia hung on you know they scramble scramble get into some grappling and from there she's fighting fighting through in the grappling and like you could see it like it's she tapped the moment the arm was broken she didn't tap the moment the technique was secured. So now when I'm saying that, it sounds weird, but it's two different things because the technique can be secured, but it can't be, you know, but you can have, you can have the technique secured, but you're not applying any pressure. I see, so now yeah. Jessica Rose Clark, she's at, she's at a point where she can, you know, stack up Julia. She doesn't get the stack up. I guess Julia really straightened herself out. So now she falls back down. In the midst of you falling down, you weren't tapping at the same time. It was just impossible. So now when you look at the tape, the same time that she's finishing the technique is the same time that the tap is being made is the same time that the ref comes over to acknowledge the tap. So now it's a sequence of things going on and it takes milliseconds for it to happen. So. Shout out to uh, Miss Stoyarenko for completing that. Jessica Rose Clark, I know she's upset at that, but you got to stack up next time. Because that's the danger of the technique. Yeah, I agree. And I found out that uh, uh, Stoyarenko has nine, that's her ninth armbar submission victory. Kind of crazy. She's like Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey was known for the armbar. How going all ever fight the armbar, and now you got Storyenko, who's now known for an armbar. Now nine or ten victories are by armbar victories. So you gotta watch out for that. Just like Ronda back in the day. Kind kind of crazy. 
But yeah, you're right. But basically, what you said is correct. If how you know about the fights and how sometimes the person could be unpositioned, you know, not fully extending. But yeah, good victory for Storyenko, and hopefully Jessica Rose Clark can make a good speed recovery because. It's okay, elbows. That's who. Well, that hurts yeah, my elbow. She, just no, thinking she about was it. Winning, she was winning the fight. She was winning the fight. It's one of those things where if you watch it in hindsight, it's like, I I know the opponent is down early, but it may be one of the things where let him get back up, let him get back up. Really try and finish them on the on their feet. It was, I, I just like, you know, she was completely winning the fight. She was just, she was winning the fight and it was just a, 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 you know, a reversal of chances in the millisecond. But yeah, there's that. Is there another fight on the preliminaries you want to shout out? Yes. Jerkis uh, Duplessis against Brad Tavares. Jerkis Duplessis wins via 29-20 Aldridge's scorecards. Duplessis lost the first round. Um... Brad Tavares was hurting him that first round. I mean, some of the shots that Duplessis threw were kind of sloppy, like his stand-up. And I've noticed that, that he's not a great first-round fighter. And I feel like if he doesn't address that, I'm afraid that eventually someone's going to knock him out in the first round. Although Duplessis is very good, very good fighter. In the second and third round, he showcased that. And in his other fights, he showcased that. I remember going in, I think he has two UFC finishes in his two UFC fights. And this is their UFC fight, and he beats a guy, Brad Tavares, who's ranked number 12, I'm mistaken, or in rankings, and beats him convincingly 2028 and busted Brad Tavares' nose badly in that in that second round. I mean, it was bad. I thought I thought he was gonna like finish Brad, but Brad is a tough, tough Hawaiian Polynesian, kind of like him and Holloway, both Hawaiian Polynesians who had bad cuts and yet didn't go down. And Tavares didn't go down spiking. Spike getting dominant dominant stand up at the second third round by Duplessis, especially that vicious cut. And as Midway has a new contender now with Duplessis, he's going to be in the rankings. It's now they got another African in the rankings. You know, Israel being Nigerian champion. Now you got Duplessis, a South African, who's now in the rankings. So shout out to Drake, Drew, uh, Drake is Duplessis. Yeah, um, that was a great fight. Um... Last fight for me that I'm gonna shout out in uh, uh, preliminaries. This to me, I I thought this might have been the only performance of the night to me, man. And I know uh, uh, um, there were other people that got bonuses, but to me, this was the true standout performance of the night. Jalen Turner versus Brad Riddell for like it was the main event for the preliminaries. Jalen Turner wins it in the first round. Like in 45 seconds via guillotine choke, but it wasn't the it was literally the striking. Bing! One hit got Brian, uh, Brad Rydell down, and then he mounted up, got the guillotine, and then just straightened out, curved his like got on top, mounted on top with the guillotine, and straightened himself out. Really choked out Brad Rydell <laughs> and made Brad Rydell tap. And my God, it was just vicious. It was it like, this was the standout performance to me. Yeah, that was out of nowhere. Seeing Brad Rydell is ranked. He knew he's coming on loss to Rafael Vizev, who we'll talk about because he's the main event the next page, the next card. You know, he's coming off that loss to Vizev, and Rydell's from State Boxing trains with Israel and Dan Hooker and Alexander Volkanowski and those guys. And he got, and he just got beat in less than a minute. That was unexpected either. 
Although Jalen Turner, I, I'm gonna speak for me. What I'm about to say, only for me. I, I'm not. I, I hate weight bullies, and Jalen Turner is a weight bully to me. Six three, one fifty five. He looks very big. I mean, he looked way bigger than Brad Rydell. And, and, and I'm not. And I've always, I, I've always never been a big fan of weight bullies. And it's like I, I. I'm never and part. I'm not gonna lie. I part of me is woo woo against Jalen Turner. I, I I don't know. For me, weight bullies offend me more than PED users. And I give Jalen Turner credit. He fought a good fight. Hurt right down. Got submitted him. But bro, King, not bully these smaller guys. I'm just. I mean, that's, I, that's just I don't me. Think he's a, I don't think he's a weight bully. I like. I think he's just tall for the division. Like the length is there. Like he, like when he calls himself Spider, that ain't just a nickname. Like he literally, when you see him compared to the rest of the division, he looks like a, like yeah, he looks like a different athlete. But not because he outweighs them. I think he just has different dimensions to the rest of the division. I don't like. But you think he comes in there like a, a bigger weight than he's supposed to, or something? Or he's supposed to be in another division? Yes, another division. Yes, kind of like Joe Alvarez from, from you know, who's also similar height, six three, one fifty five. I don't know. For me, I've always never liked that. I don't know. For me, it's like if if you're a certain height, I always I never. I'm not. This is just. I'm just speaking for me. This is just me. I mean, I mean that's for you, but at the same time, you have to respect science to know that not everybody's body is the same. So what six? What like everyone's six three. Everyone that is 6'3", their natural weight isn't a certain amount. Like, there is a general amount, yeah, but if a certain athlete says, I feel best at, you know, at a certain weight and I'm this height, I think that's just, like, you know, you got to learn to fight a different way with this guy because he's a different, like, he has different dimensions. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, not 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 a fan of that personally. And I, let's I, for Jalen, he's ranked now, and he'll get a ranked opponent. And all I say is, I hope that they place him arms through again. We shall see. Uh, if, if you know arms through again, you know why. Okay, uh, we we definitely shall see. I don't. Uh. I mean, Armin Sarukian just came off of a fight, uh, uh, what was it, last week or two weeks yeah, ago? I guess, um, yeah, last week against Gamrat. Uh, uh, last week against Gamrat. So, I mean, they both were just recently, you know, coming off of some uh, fights close enough to each other. Maybe they face each other. We shall see. But to me, man, Jalen Turner, that was a standout performance of the night there. That was just, um, that was excellent to me. Like, it was just, it was an excellent finish. Oh, oh another, another guy I will mention the prelims is Andre Munez. Oh, this guy coming out of nowhere and just shake up the middleweight division. Andre Munez defeating Uriah Hall, dominating him 3-27. There was a one point in this fight where Munez landed 50 strikes and and Uriah Hall only landed two. At one point in like the second round, like two minutes to go, it was that it was that lopsided. I mean. Andre Menez is a problem in this middleweight division. This guy, it's just, he's just been submitting people, dominating people. He's got a great jiu-jitsu. He's got great jiu-jitsu 
excuse me, great jiu-jitsu background, and he showcases grappling against Uriah Hall, where Uriah Hall really couldn't muster anything. You know, Hall escaped some some moments and was trying to try to do some work, but he really couldn't do much against Minez. And this guy is definitely ranked in the middleweight division, a new middleweight prospect. And this guy is going to be a problem in this division, Andre Minez. That's a need to keep your eye out, especially after this performance. Most definitely. Um, so uh, yeah, that's it. That's it for me on this card. All in all, this was a this was an okay pay per view card. This doesn't this doesn't shatter the leaderboard for me throughout the year. It doesn't. Same. Yeah, but I, I knew I knew what it was. Like I, if anything, the reason why I felt that this if, if there was any hope that this uh, card was going to be on the leaderboard for top cards. The only fight that would have given it that chance was Volkanovski versus Holloway. And it didn't happen. I'm for, yeah, I'm for, it didn't I'm, happen, yep. Yeah. But yeah, this was, you know, this was the UFC 276 re recap, obviously, of, a, of the big card in the UFC, one of their bigger cards of the year, potentially. And like I said, weird card, the main card. Prelims were very good. Very good prelims. They delivered. And they, yeah, overall weird card, but good prelims. Main card has some good moments, good performances. Piera and Barbarina, of course. Volkanovski, of course. Dominic Holloway and Israel that you know dominated Canadier and the Munoz and O'Malley fight, which is weird, but it is what it is. Holloway would say. But yeah, that was the UFC 276. I guess we can transition from that to this upcoming weekend, UFC, the UFC Fight Night. Bizev versus Los Angeles, the Battle of the Raphaels, and an important matchup in the lightweight division as yet the veteran, former champion RDA, looking to continue his, his um, run back to the title against young, up and coming East European um, phenom, Rafael Bizev. And I'm excited for this fight to see who, who's the winner of the who's the best Rafael between the two of them. As both guys are very, you know, very good fighters, both guys are very. Mo can do a lot, can do multiple things, can stand, can grapple, can do a lot of things. This is a very compelling fight. As Rafael Bezev, I mentioned, come off that victory over Brad Rydell back, I believe, in November or December. December of, of this past December, he, he knocked out Rafa, uh, Brad Rydell with that spinning wheel kick. And RDA has come off that victory over Hinata Mulcano back in March, which was really supposed to be. Ooh, no, it was supposed Fizev. to be Fizev, yes. But Fizev got injured, so they had to reschedule this for July. And this fight's been made, like, two, at least two times, but RDA kept pulled out one time, Fizev, but we're finally getting it. I'm excited for this fight. What are your thoughts on this fight, Dan? Because I'm pretty excited for this fight. I feel like we've broken this fight down two other times already. So I don't have anything other than, uh, you know, to say I'm excited for the striking exchanges between these two. That's it. There's going to be a whole lot of striking exchanges. And I'm I'm interested in, in looking forward to that. That's what that's all I want to see. These two are going to be very, very. I think I think Rafael Fizev is going to be more creative striker than Dos Anjos. But all in all, the striking is going to be exciting to see. I totally agree. The striking is a big sign these two. I think they're both going to deliver. I think Fizev being more more creative could be an advantage, but also it might be a disadvantage to where if he slips up and leaves himself open, RDA can catch him and and really hurt and hurt Fizev. I could change the projection of the fight. 
So much to see how that plays a part, the free of striking of Fizev. But I'm excited, I mean, Fizev wins this fight, he's in, he's right there to where he needs one more fight for a uh, title. And if RDA wins, same thing, one more fight away from a, a, a title, especially being the veteran. And maybe RDA, if he dominates Fizev, can maybe, I'm not saying it will happen, but I won't be surprised if this does happen. Get a fight with Oliveira for the title, considering Oliveira has talked about wanting to fight him. You know, I think he has talked about, or maybe an RDA who mentioned two Brazilians fighting Brazil for the title. One of them mentioned, I forget who's who, but the UFC does go Brazil again for a pay per view. I mean, it, you, it wouldn't surprise me if they maybe would consider uh, Oliveira and RDA fight for the lightweight title in Brazil. If RDA has a great performance against Fizev, that's if though. Because Fazev can definitely be RDA. Wouldn't shock me at all. And RDA and in RDA is a tough dude and fought the best of the best, being the best of the best. I mean, that's why he's a legend, so respected by fight fans. Yeah, absolutely right. It's gonna be um both of these fighters, uh uh so much wouldn't be on the line if they weren't so respected and the respect and the accomplishments that they've gained have them, you know, coming head to head. The fight, you know, it, it, you know, if we didn't care after this fight got, you know, got, you know, canned the first time, we wouldn't have been trying to remake it. But the fans have called for this because this is a main event in a fight night for a reason. The, the UFC is confident that we're going to tune in and rightfully so. Both of these guys have showed reason to belong in the division and be contenders in the division. We just shall, we just shall see who shuts down whose lights and you know who helps uh, you know who helps themselves move on to uh, to securing greatness. We shall see. We shall see. Definitely, I'm excited. And the co-main event, you got our man Petrosian versus Caio uh, Borrero. 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 Excuse me. In the middleweight division, both guys only have one loss. Armin's got seven wins, one loss. Kyle's got 11 wins, one loss. And I think it's the second co-main event for Kyle. Am I correct? Second co-main event, and I'm not going to lie, rightfully so. The first time, I didn't know who he was. And I, I was, you know, I'm like, hey, it's going to be an introduction. If Dana feels this guy deserves to be in, uh, uh, you know, in the co-main event, then let it be. Let it be so. He belongs in the co-main event. This guy is. I'm. It's just certain. It's certain guys that Dana White is finding right now, man. I don't know where he's finding them, but this guy, I, I feel it. If he beats Armin Petrosian, his next couple of fights, he's main eventing a fight night. Star quality. Star quality in the ring. And he's got the Oliveira look with the glasses, but then he comes in the ring. He's like Oliveira in the ring. He can strike with you, but he'll grab you and lock you up. I just, this is another test for him. We shall see. Tests are going to keep getting better because for you to, you know, the starting point for him was a co-main event. So now the tests only get harder and harder for you. And now that, you know, when you're seated in, you know, when you're seated on the card, if, you, if now we see you in the, you know, on the main card, but not the co or the main event, it's because of some titles being brought up and the test only gets harder and harder for him. We shall see. I'm interested. I, I want to watch this fight. 
Right, exactly. If he, if he wins this fight and does well, he'll get bigger, harder fights and probably be in more co-main events. To the point where the only fights, the only time he won't be in the main event, co-main event, would be either titles on the line or bigger names. That's the, it. But Arn Petrosi ain't no slouch. This guy's 7-1 with six knockdown TKOs. This guy can knock people out. So, so for Kyle, he needs to watch out because he might get put to sleep. Now, his last fight for uh, Armin's last fight was a victory over Gregory Rodriguez back in February on the Islam and Bobby Green card, which was a split decision, no less. But still, he won the and fight. We just saw what Gregory Rodriguez did recently. That was just some pain he inflicted there. So, yeah. yes. Right, and both guys are contender series guys. Both guys won contender series fights, got contracts, then won their, their UFC debuts in their last fights, and now are fighting each other. So they're trying to see who, you know, they got to want to test the contender series guys and see like who can win. And either way, it looked good for Dana White in the contender series. Whoever wins this fight, especially in the co-main events of a fight nights, they can really you know promote the guy and push the guy and give and he has potential to be. Uh, middle, a top, a middleweight contender, considering the middleweight division is in a very good spot right now. You, you know, Israel, and then you got Pereira, and you still got Strickland, Vittori Whitaker, Andre Menez, we just mentioned, and Drakus Duplessis. As they try, as the middleweight division continues to get more talented, which is good considering the middleweight division has has highs and lows, and now it's going on a high right now. And for um, Kyle um, Bro. Uh, I, I don't want to butcher his last Ch name again. Uh, uh, Kyle Brajo. Brajo. For Brajo, he's got seven finishes, four knockdown TKOs, and three submissions. Like you mentioned, Kid Strike will also submit you also. So both guys, you know, lean more towards finishing their opponents. But it, it, but with the price made, their finishing abilities cancel each other out. because of the decision to where you should really showcase all their skills. I, I think you're going to see a lot of different skills in this fight. Grappling, rest, you know, striking, etc. I'm excited for this fight. You know, you know, for a lot of people, they may not know these two. Well, well, not as much as before, but still, maybe introduction for a lot of people. These two fighters, and I think that I think they're going to deliver, and people are going to be impressed with one of these guys, or maybe both of these guys. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, can't wait. This Saturday, can't wait. As uh, we move on from that fight to the next fight on the main card, this one I'm interested in as well. Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Douglas Silva de Andrade in the bantamweight division. This is going to be interesting to me uh, because it's a Nurmagomedov. I don't I, I don't believe he's related to uh, uh, he's not related to the, uh, 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 Khabib and, and those guys. He's not. We thought he was, he's but he's not. We thought he was, but he's not, right? This guy, he's a different type of guy. Like, uh, the last time we saw him, the way he fought, he looked like he might as well have been related to, uh, to Habib and those guys because he fights with the same pressure. He can grapple. The striking is there. The pressure, though, is going to be interesting to see against a guy like Douglas Silva DeAndrade because Douglas has some power. He has enough power to make you back up and if the pressure isn't there for you know the dagestani wrestler what are the different ways that they can get you out of there the pressure is one of the biggest tools that they use in order to advance all of their techniques but if douglas's uh uh, uh power can make saeed back up a little and at least hesitate and that makes you know that the pressure kind of you know lessen it to a point where it becomes a non-factor 
I would like to see how Saeed attacks this one, but this one's a bit of a toss-up to me. I don't know how I, I how I would uh, uh, you know judge who's the favorite here. I'm just interested to see you know how this is gonna go. Uh, Saeed definitely has a as I think to me he has a willingness to show more of his techniques than Douglas. But make no mistake, Douglas has enough power that sometimes he doesn't need all the technique. You're right about power with Douglas uh, on Douglas Silva the Adraj because Douglas in his 28 victories has 20 knockouts and bantamweights, no less. Keep this in mind: this is a bantamweight fighter who, in 28 victories, has 20 knockouts. This guy and kills. This guy's got power. He can finish. He can finish his opponents. And for Saeed. The pressure, it, you know, a lot of Dagestani fighters like to showcase their pressure. That leads a lot of their success, and he's gonna he's gonna show pressure. And we saw his last fight with, with Saeed's last fight against Cody Stamen. That pressure, that grappling, really really worked his favor, and he was able to get a guillotine out of nowhere. It was like it was like less than a minute that fight lasted with Cody Stamen on the Ngannou and um, Zero Gone card. So you know he's, he's gonna throw pressure, but he needs to be careful because. You know, Douglas has got enough power to knock you out, to knock you out, or finish you. And as he showcased in a lot of his fights, well, his last last fight, uh, Douglas' last fight was against Sergey Mozov, who he won via submission back in February. So he's got a submission victory as well. But it's the power, you know, in the hands that wins him a lot of fights, especially at bantamweight, which is so damn impressive. Considering a lot of lightweight class guys, not a lot of power with them very like heavyweights and lightweights etc so every time I, so i see someone with 20 knockouts and ko tko's and the lightweight class i'm just blown away that's why i'm talking about so much but you said everything that needed to be said like the power of douglas against the pressure of saeed and saeed and also saeed can mix in the martial arts as well grapple as well you know strike as well He's got eight eight finishes himself saeed with 15 victories four tko and tko's and and four submissions. Like I mentioned, his last fight was his submission victory over Cody Stamen, which he did pretty quickly, shockingly. As Cody Stamen's bounced back from his loss, too, about, like recently. I know, I forget who he fought, but I know he recently bounced back. Oh, he knocked out Iguilin. That's who it was. But yeah, he beat Saeed. Saeed beating Cody Stamen quickly was shocking. And this fight, I'm excited for. I'm excited to see how much grappling is there going to be. Can Douglas stop the, stop the grappling and maybe catch Saeed? Considering Saeed's probably going to pressure him, this is, this, there's a lot of questions I can't see to be answered this um, Saturday. As I as I don't mean to ramble on, but I'm just kind of excited for this fight. Considering already Dan mentioned knowing these two fighters, but to see an Naga Mayo fights. And Naga Mayo fights, they tend to be very damn good. Even if they don't win, they're still pretty damn good. And it matters Habib, Usman, Umar, Saeed, um, Obakar, the gangster who shall return soon. An army of fights is exciting. I'm excited to watch. Yeah, most definitely. Um, as uh, we move on from that fight to the next fight on the card, Dennis Tululin versus Jamie Pickett. I'm familiar with Jamie Pickett, but Dennis Tululin, I feel like I've watched a couple of fights. I don't remember it. Uh, so well like that. I don't know. Dennis Tuluin, not familiar with. Jamie Pickett, I know we've watched. I know we've, we've probably talked about him. we probably broke down his, his fights before, but Dennis Tuluin, I'm not too sure. 
Comes to their record 9-6 with 8 KO and TKOs and one decision victory. His, his last fight was a loss to, um, Ala, hang on, Alice, Alice Cab, Kurzarev, back in March. What said? Go ahead. I wasn't going to do that. You try it. Yeah, Kurzarev, back in March on the Kurz Blaze and not Pal, Chris Dawkins card. Uh, back in uh, March, we he lost via submission, rear naked choke. The guy, this guy seems to be a, sh a striker, mostly, um, Dennis Tulev. Like I mentioned, he's nine victories, his eight KO and T kills, so he has a lot of power in his hands. Tend to finish guys. So it seems like he's gonna try and maybe keep it the fight standing and try and knock out Jimmy Pickett Jimmy Pickett or Herm Badley. Now Jimmy Pickett's got power himself, he's got eight TKO and KO victories of, 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 of his eight TKO and TKO victories of his thirteen victories, I meant to say. Although Jimmy Pickett's come up a loss himself over Cal Dawkins back in February back in February. Do the submission. Uh, that's right. I remember that was the submission victory Kyle got with like a second left in the first round. That was impressive. So both guys are looking to bounce back, and it's. I feel like this fight's gonna be a lot of stand up between the two of them. I feel like someone's getting knocked out potentially, or get or get dropped to get hurt badly in stand up. Whereas the better stand up to me is gonna win this fight. It seems like just going on the records and like the finishes and performances. Yep. Uh, if that's the case, then I'm excited for that. Love a good stand-up fight. Same. And and we guess we move on to the next fight in the card in the heavyweight division between Chase Sherman and Jared Vandera. And this, I I um for some reason I feel like Jared's gonna win because Chase Sherman hasn't looked good recently. He's, he's lost four in a row. Now, granted, it's four, the guys he's lost. The last fight was to Alexander Romanov, who's a really good prospect. The guy's 16-0, which I believe he's got like a bunch of finishes. I mean, Romanov just picked him up and just took him to the ground, just submitted him with ease in his last and Chase's last fight. Like I said, Romanov, no joke, and he lost to Jake Collier in a fight which I did not expect to happen. I expect I thought Chase was gonna win, but. Collier proved me wrong, and then before he lost to Parker Porter and Andre Arlovski, who Andre Arlovski, no shame in that. Andre Arlovski's a legend and one of and all-time great heavyweights. But he hasn't been on a good run. Chase Sherman, you know Chase got power in his hands. 14 of his 15 victories are by KO and TKO. Now that's surprising considering he's heavyweights and in the heavyweight division got almost all of them at power in their hands. It, but I. I think Jared Van, Van Dara might win this fight just because on the recent losing skid Chase Sherman's been on. And but in you know, you know, actually, I, I just realized Jared's on a losing streak himself. He's lost three in a row too. His last fight was a loss to Alexander Alex Olenek via submission in April before he lost I mean, to Orla. Go ahead. But Olenek is uh, Olenek's the guy that's in the rankings. I believe he's still a guy that's you know. He's, he stays within the rankings of the heavyweight. Um, this is a get-right fight for both of these guys. Right. Yeah, you're right. It's a get fight. Get right fight for both of them. Someone needs to. Someone. They both need a victory, and someone's gonna get it. Mm -hmm. Now Jerry's lost to Arlovski, which was a split decision loss back in February, and and he's, before they lost to Alexander Romanov via TKO, so both guys have lost to well, Arlovski and Romanov in their losing streaks. I mean, 
I thought I was gonna go Jim and Jared, but I don't know. It's a toss-up. Whoever's that, whoever's more desperate, more hungry. That's who wins it. They, they said Jared's got power himself, seven victories. So by K on TK was twelve victories. So I don't know who's gonna win. I, I thought it would be Jared, but now it's remembering he's on that losing streak. Whoever's more desperate, you're right. It's gonna win this fight. We'll find out Saturday. Someone's getting finished. It's heavyweight, so. Whoever's, whoever's got that dog in them, we're going to find out. And, uh, and is that the main card? Is there another fight on the main card? There's one more fight on the main card. Well, I believe this should be. Uh, this hasn't fallen through. They have uh, Michael Johnson versus Jamie Malarkey. That's a yeah. first fight on the main card right there. I'm excited to see that because Michael Johnson coming off of a victory... It's very impressive victory too. Yeah, 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 knockout victory. I'm mistaken, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michael Johnson's got power in his hands. We know he can knock dudes out. I mean, he knocked out Dustin Poirier back in the you know 2017 and so 2016 knocked him out, and he's knocked out a lot of dudes over time. Even though it's, even though his record seems deceiving, but the, Michael Johnson's fought a lot of good fighters, been a lot of good fighters. It's crazy thing, Michael Johnson has vic victories over Edson Barboza, Justin Poirier, and Tony Ferguson. It's kind of crazy to think about that. He's been those three guys who've all gone on to have success in the UFC, especially Tony and uh and Dustin. But Michael Johnson, power in his hands, fought a lot of good fighters, been a lot of good fighters, fought some, lost some, but. Always, he's always competitive. It's not, you know, if he beat Michael Johnson, usually you're a good fighter. Now, he's, now Jay Malarkey is 14 and 5 from Australia. He's got 10K on TKO victories. It's 14 victories. Come on, lost to Jalen Turner back in, back in March. Lost via KO. So, if Michael Johnson, it seems like a good chance to probably weaken um, Marky's chin even more, considering he's got power too, like Jamie, like um, Turner. So it's it's question if if um, Marquis Shink can hold up after getting knocked out several months ago. Now he's going against another power puncher, Michael Johnson. That's the question: Can his chin hold up for Jamie Malarkey? And also, if you're Malarkey, can you maybe catch Michael Johnson? Considering uh, Marquis got a lot of knockout and TKO uh, knockout and TKOs in his record too. So it's possible he might catch Michael Johnson and put him to sleep. It, yeah, it's definitely a possibility. Um... We're gonna see, but Michael Johnson, man, hopefully we can just keep him rolling and get him in a in a good, uh, you know, just good consecutive form of victories. Jamie Malarkey's a good test because Malarkey has power, but even these guys are susceptible to getting slept. This one, I don't think this fight goes a distance. That's the one thing I can say I'm confident in that, and I'm looking forward to this fight starting off the main card. I agree, and if you're Malarkey, you might be able to try to go for a submission because Michael Johnson's ha a lot of his losses are by submission. No, granted, it's against elite grapplers like Abin and Marga Madoff and other great grapplers too, like Dale Moises. Ain't, ain't no joke grappling wise, but still, I mean, Drew Markey, maybe he can work on his wrestling and submission skills. Exactly, that's a possible way for him to win this fight considering a lot of Michael Johnson's losses are by submission. But we shall see. Like I said, we'll find out Saturday. This opens the main card at the fight night. Live on ESPN this Saturday at 9 p.m. If I'm mistaken, I believe so. Wait, uh, the yeah, the uh, main card starts at nine. The prelim starts at six. 
All right, so it's, it's, it's typical sat. Well, not typical, but like it's not earlier than your typical Saturday card. It starts at 10 p.m. in the East mm-hmm. Coast. It's a little, little earlier, but still somewhat similar to what you're, we're used to here. I guess they, uh, you know, put it, they, you know, gave it enough time that people in the UK could catch some uh, UFC. Right. Although the UK, the, it's we're only two. We're less. We're thirteen day. No, not thirteen. Two weeks away from the UK London event in July twenty third. So definitely got a UK event. I'll definitely start there. It's nine o'clock their time, which I know they're happy about. I'm excited about. When we get there, we'll break down the UK card because I'm oh, I'm excited yeah. for that. But um, yeah. Before we close this out, is there any fight on the main card that you? I mean, excuse me. Is there any fight on the preliminaries? Any fighter in the preliminaries that you're excited to uh, see? Um, trying to see. Hmm. I and I guess Antonia Shashenko, Valentina's sister. See how she does if she can bounce back because I think I believe her last fight was a loss. Once to the Casey O'Neill she lost to. Let me check. I know she lost her last fight. I just don't remember who. Yeah, it was Casey O'Neill back in October. So she hasn't fallen a little bit. So we're interested to see how she bounces back. Antonia Shenko, sister of the UFC flat, uh, women's flyweight champ, champion. Yes, yeah, she, she did get dominated by Casey O'Neill. You're absolutely right. Um, so then if that's the vein, uh, another fight that I want to see, uh, it's the preliminaries main, car, uh, main fight. Cynthia Cavillo versus Nina Nunes. I'm I'm excited to see that one. Super excited to see that one. And yeah. just before that fight, well, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I just want to say, just before that fight, there's a fighter who I haven't seen since he won uh, uh, Dana White's Contender Series. I want to see him one more time. Ricky Tercios. He's fighting. Uh, Ayman Zahabi is in the bantamweight division. I'm looking forward to that because Ricky Tercios, man, this guy is a, he's a scrapper. He's a scrapper. I'm excited to see him back in the octagon. It's been over, I, I, I feel like it's been over a year since we last saw him. Has was it? it uh, the fight against Brady uh, Hastan. Yeah, August of 2021, so close to a year. Oh, wow. That's a while, yeah. Yeah. Wait, oh, oh, yeah. I remember. Okay, now I remember Ricky Terzian. I do remember him. Okay. Yeah, it's been a minute, so I forgot. So you mentioned that. Looking at his record. Okay, I do remember him. Right. I guess it's a re- re- reintroduction for him for a lot of us fans. So hopefully he can capitalize, get a victory, and, and he can make a name for himself as he continues his UFC journey. Most definitely. But um, yeah, that's it. I'm I'm excited for this card. It's the Battle of the Raphaels. Uh, let the best Raphael win. Yeah, best Raphael wins. I'm excited for this big fight in the lightweight division. As the lightweight division, you know, seems to be one of the one of the best divisions all of UFC. Some will argue the best division in UFC. I mean, I disagree, but that's another discussion for another day. Change what's the UFC's best division. But um, overall. Looking forward to this fight card. Like I said, it begins on ESPN, 9 o'clock. The main card, 6 p.m. on 6 p.m. Eastern for the prelims on ESPN Plus, if I'm mistaken. So, yeah, anything else we want to mention before we end the show? Uh, 
No, that's it. I, I don't think there's been any there's been any MMA news that's recently hit my uh, uh, feed that I can think of. Other than that, this uh, you know last uh, prior you know prior to this, the cards that we didn't break down uh, the the Bellator card. I'm not gonna lie to you guys. Even though we didn't break it down, if you just want a quick note from me, it was a bit of a snooze fest on my end. I I didn't think it was that entertaining, but all in all, I'm looking forward to more MMA. You move on from what happened, and you, you keep looking forward. Right, exactly. And, you know, congratulations to Johnny Eblin for being Gabriel Musashi and becoming the Bellator middleweight champ. <laughs> we didn't mention that. Congratulations to him. Sadatello and um, Arfian stopped to fight each other, which should be entertaining trash talking between the two. Can we see that in the Bantamweight tournaments? Also, shout out to Magomed Magomed for getting a submission victory or a Rick Barzola. He moves on to take on Patchy Mix, which should be an exciting tournament fight, semifinals. Also, mm-hmm. shout out to, so, oh yeah, shout out to Gamera and, and Sarukian for delivering entertaining um, fights the weekend before in the main event. High level grappling, high level. And grappling can be exciting. High level striking. And it was a debatable fight. Yeah. Uh, to me, look, the problem is, I, Armin won the fight. The problem is, the, the judges, including myself, didn't catch. The Spain back fist that dropped um, Gamera in the fourth round, because I, I thought arm, I thought Gamera won the fight until I saw the Spain back fist. It sounds like, oh, that dropped him, but Gamera got up, and that was a difference. The judges didn't see it, and I didn't even see it until the replay. I mean, I don't know how. I mean, well, on the replay, I guess because they didn't catch it clean on the replay, but this is one of those things where I don't know you. Um, they may have to start changing who's actually judging these fights because I think they, uh, I think someone let it be known that the same people that are judging uh, MMA fights are judging boxing bouts. So, mm. I, 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 yeah, exactly. I'm done with that. We gotta, uh, uh, there's still some things to clean up because MMA is still growing as a sport, but all in all, uh, salute, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, salute to Gamera and Sarukian. They're, they're, they're problems in this lightweight division. The lightweight, those top guys are in trouble. They're both gonna beat up some dudes in lightweight division. I like them against a lot of these guys. I mean, they're, they're both talent level, they're both top five, talent-wise. Talent level they are. And they, they're gonna give a lot of these top 10 guys in lightweight division problems. Both Sarukian and Gamrot. Especially Sarukian, especially he's only 25. And Gamrot's only 30, so, built, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in trouble lightweight with these two high-level fighters. But yeah, overall, um, I also want to mention congratulations to Habib and Daniel Cormier for getting UFC Hall of Fame as well this past this past week. Salute to those guys, and it's an accomplishment that's well deserved for them. You're absolutely right about that. Right, and uh, anyway, thank you guys for watching us, listening to us on audio on audio podcast platforms as well as watching us on YouTube. And thank you for listening to us on Spotify, Google, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, using that fan, etc. We appreciate the love and support where you're watching us on YouTube or Rumble or listening to us on the audio platforms I mentioned. We appreciate the love and support. And you guys everyone supporting the channel as well. We appreciate the support. Me, Dan, and my dad, of course, Kevin. We appreciate the love and support. Thank you. And sorry about last week. That's on my end. I messed that up, but it is what it is. And, we'll, and we're glad to be back. We talked breaking down in May. And... We look forward to breaking down MMA you know, next week. You know, we're, sorry about that, my cough, but look forward to breaking down this, this, this 
weekend's card and previewing next weekend's card, which is the Yair and Brian Ortega live on Long Island on ABC. Definitely looks like a good card, but we'll talk about that next week. And happy 4th of July to all Americans out there watching us. Salutes and happy 4th of July to all Americans watching us. Most definitely. Thank you guys so much. And uh, thank you for everyone in the Army giving us uh, your service because that's why we can celebrate 4th of July. It's because, uh, you know, they're in there giving their service. So salute. thank you guys so much. Um, support the program when you can. There's the Cash App for uh, donations both uh the jedi and myself there's a link tree link there as well where you can catch us on twitter or on any other platform you can talk to us on twitter uh let us know some of your thoughts on any sporting event that you know we break down whether that be hockey baseball basketball football you name it we're covering it the westminster dog show we're covering it thank you guys so much for joining us man it's just contest as well I, I won't, it's 4th of oh, July, yeah. so I won't mention it. Also, salute to Maria for the, for the comments at the end. Shout out to you, uh, Maria. Uh, so, and have, thank you for the happy 4th of July, and go Yankees. As, oh, I, as I'm Austin the Chef, then we appreciate the love and support, and thank you guys for watching tuning to us. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, we are...